Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back to the screening room. Say it with me. 2019. 2019. I can say it. I just can't write it. Well, that's the thing. The countdown is on. Number one, how long before you write it on your checks? And number two, how long before you go, I'm still writing checks <laughs> in 2019? Is that a thing that's happening? But uh, welcome to it. Hope you had a fantastic holiday season. And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. We are back for the first movie week of 2019. A little slow. But that's the way it's going to be. We've got a couple to talk about. A couple of big ones, kind of one kind of a small one. And we'll start out with an awards favorite already this year. It's the story of a woman in Harlem embracing her pregnancy while she and her family struggle to prove her fiancé innocent of a crime. If Beale Street could talk. We are drinking to new life. Tish going to have Fonny's baby. And who's going to be responsible for this baby? The father and the mother. Why don't want you in my arms? Gotta hold our baby in my arms. We'll find a way. That child was born of sin. That child is your grandchild. What difference does it make how he gets here? Unbow your head, sister. Remember, love is what brought you here. And if you trusted love this far, don't panic now. Well, first off, we should say, we already said this was an awards favorite. Uh, the group that we're members of, the Columbus, Ohio Film Critics Association, we had our awards last night, mm -hmm. and this movie topped the list it as did. the number one movie of the year. It was. It got our best picture, it is did. what it got. It did. And, and also, uh, Regina King got our best supporting actress. Yes, and so I definitely expect this to get some Oscar consideration. I, I certainly expect Regina King to be nominated for Best Supporting what Actress. I really best do. Best Score was yeah. the other thing it also best got. Best Score. So it as does you, sound great. It, and it looks And it looks beautiful. great. Um, there, there's a lot going on with this movie, as you can tell. Uh, and there's a reason why it's an awards favorite. First of all, we should say the, the uh, writer-director, Barry Jenkins. If Moonlight, you two yeah, years ago. This which is, is his follow-up to Moonlight, which we love that movie it's so a very, much. It's a very nearly perfect film. And, of course, after the big snafu, it won Best Picture right, right. at the Oscars. So this is his follow-up, and actually it's a movie that he was working on, in a way, uh, writing the script before uh, Moonlight even came about, mm -hmm. because it's an adaptation of the novel from James Baldwin. Right. And there have been precious few adaptations of James Baldwin's work. In fact, I think of his fiction, only one non-English language uh, Adaptation. It was of this uh, this book, but it was uh, it was not titled "If Beale Street Could Talk." But anyway, the fact is, he's a very intimidating writer. Yes. To try to make a, a right. cinematic right. narrative out of, absolutely, he's it, it so great. But uh, from what I've heard and what I've read, Barry Jenkins worked up an early script treatment of this and got the blessings of James Baldwin's estate nice. even before Moonlight became such a success. Wow. So so that's pretty good. So he's, he, he bit off a big, ambitious goal, and oh boy, he, he really... He really nails it because this, I think, you mentioned how good it looks, how good it sounds. It really does a great job, I think, of balancing all the different themes going on in, in the movie and in the book, which on a page can be, 
you know, it's a whole different animal. It can be given room to breathe, and those they slowly come to the surface, these themes, in your own imagination. Yeah. And he, James Baldwin is such a complex writer, and mm-hmm. he's able to to uh, translate those those big picture ideas with sometimes with wit, sometimes with outrage, sometimes just with character. Yeah. And, and this movie somehow toes that line and is able to bring that to the screen in a very effective way, I think. And it's a beautiful film. And, uh, and the performances, especially for me, especially the supporting cast, not just Regina Hall, but really all of the Regina support. King. Sorry, I always do that. <laughs> they're easy, to, they're easy to, to mix up. In fact, Regina Hall has, has had a... Support the girls. Support the girls. Yeah. And that yeah, movie she's got... She's far more uh, often in comedies. Although yeah. Regina King is also sometimes in comedies. But the point is... It's Regina King that we're talking about, and she's actually always amazing. And her performance here is great. She plays the mother, the soon-to-be grandmother, in the movie. But the, the, uh, the entire supporting cast, I thought, was... Fascinating. I mean, they all had uh, they all had such punchy and different and effective characters, and they were they were just fun to sort of watch how they uh, interacted with each other, how they furthered the plot. For me, the only real weakness in this film is that the two leads, and I'm not saying the performances are weak. The performances are very are, are very strong. It's simply that the two leads are flawless human beings, and it's very tough for me to connect with a character like that who doesn't really have any faults to speak of. And I feel like they were probably uh, metaphorical more than anything, and that's probably why it's done that way. And the whole film feels like a, a poem or a song more than it does a straight narrative. So, yeah. it, it was, or even uh, a play. You could see how this would be a play as well. I, I think it was clearly a conscious choice. Uh, it's just one that didn't really ring true with me. Uh, yeah, the couple in question is Tish, played by Kiki Lane, and I believe this is her debut. Uh, and then Alf- Alonzo, who's named, who's nicknamed Fonny. Fonny. Oh, sorry, Fonny. Uh, and he's played by Stephen James, who was the lead in Race. He yeah. played Jesse. We had to talk we to him, did. actually. We did. We did. They came here since Jesse Owens did a lot of his, you know, legendary um, athletic at endeavors State, at right. Ohio State. So they had a, a premiere here, and we went to that red Jesse carpet. Jesse Owens' daughters were there. And got to and got to talk to him a little bit, yeah. Uh, so he had the lead in that. You also might remember him as playing John Lewis in Selma. That's right. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's the male half of the couple and they are very effective and they're so that romance is treated you know so gracefully and tenderly, tenderly. really the whole the whole movie as you mentioned poetic and graceful it's very that's one of the great traits about it but it, it, yeah it's fluid like a song which is one of the reasons the score is so yeah. important and perfectly done great score so the couple finds out that uh, she is pregnant and so they are dealing with that and they're get engaged uh, and then uh, Fawny is implicated in a rape case so they have to go about trying to prove his innocence, mainly, and that a lot of that falls on the mother, Regina King, mm-hmm. and she takes to some possibly dangerous measures to try to prove his innocence, and that is what kind of drives a surface tension, a surface conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in the background, you mentioned all these these supporting characters and how little moments and, and even little conversations really round out Baldwin's take on the black experience right. in America. And how how almost countless different situations and, and structures in society really uh, braid together to make it difficult to just succeed yeah. if you are uh, a black in America. And how, and how that can be manifested in just, you know, daily, daily occurrences and indignities uh, to then some small, some large. And there's a great conversation between Fawny and uh, his friend Daniel, played by Brian Tyree Henry, who 
Talk about a great year. Uh, we mentioned our awards last night. He won our Actor of the Year, yeah. Brian Tyree Henry, because... He it, was everywhere. Oh, and he was so good, and they were such varied performances. Yes. Yeah, he was everywhere. Yes, I think the, maybe the only person that made more movies last year was Common, <laughs> uh, who I voted for, by the way, in that category, who also had a great year. But yeah, Brian Tyree Henry, great in this movie, and they have a, they have a, a wonderfully tough and heartbreaking conversation about just some of the daily things they have to deal with and watch out mm-hmm, for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's little moments like that, mm-hmm. I think, that really drive... The, the layers, the undercurrent of the themes in this movie, while the, the bigger conflict, drama, like, mm-hmm. like uh, what uh, Regina King's character is trying to do to uh, solve the, or to clear uh, Fonny's name, the two work very well mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. as it unfolds, like yeah. you say, much like a, like a song, like a, like a poem, like a play. And if you haven't read the book, certainly don't want to spoil anything for you, but uh, it doesn't cop out. Let's put it that way. It doesn't cop out at all. It mm-hmm. stays right to the end, stays very, very true to what it's saying, but somehow still remains hopeful and loving yeah. and the bonds of family and, you know, the, the bonds of, of, of a people, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think the whole thing is just really well done, especially when you consider how tough of a, of a source material, uh, how tough the source material might be to translate this well into a digestible two-hour script yeah yeah and if you've seen moonlight uh you might already know how you know how good barry jenkins obviously is at draping a movie in a certain mood in a certain feel yeah Uh, he certainly did it in moonlight and and he does it here more so here yeah yeah he he does it here and it really is it's going to be an award favorite, at least in consideration, I think, uh, for a good reason. And we definitely recommend If Beale Street Could Talk. Next up, we have a movie about six strangers finding themselves in circumstances beyond their control, and they must use their wits to survive the escape room. This serves as an entry voucher for Minos Minos escape escape rooms. rooms. Be the the first first to escape escape our most immersive immersive room room yet. yet. And win a million dollars. So, uh, when does the game start? Ah! Talk about immersive. What's wrong with you? That was real. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes made of sticky time. They're watching us. They know every move that we're making. There's a big They knew everything about us. That's why they chose us. And they all look just the same. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Cube. I have. You know who else has? (laughs) Everybody who made the film Escape Room. Yeah, this is the uh, director, Adam Robitaille, who did, actually, he was the director of The Taking of Deborah Logan. Which was, you know what? I mean, it wasn't flawless, but it was brave because the entire focus was an elderly woman with Alzheimer's. And you don't get to see that much, right? That's a very different perspective. And it was a a good movie, and I recommend it. I don't, uh, actually, I should take that back. Escape Room is really not that bad. I agree with you about about Cube, and if you haven't seen the movie Cube from 97, look it up. But um, it makes total sense that someone 
would take this idea because escape rooms, since the year that the, that uh, Cube came out, it's been quite a few years now. Yeah, escape rooms yeah. has become a thing. Yeah, you know, team building and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We haven't done one. I don't think we. No, because I'm on... claustrophobic. There's zero <laughs> chance. There's zero chance I would intentionally trap myself inside someplace. But it makes total sense that someone would use the premise. The, right. the problem is when you watch this movie, and it's not just Cube. It, it does a lot of borrowing from some other movies as well. It does. You're gonna see Hellraiser, Final Destination. There's, I mean, there's a little bit of a saw. There's a lot of saw. But it is uncanny how much they lift from Cube. Right down to, uh, there are six participants. They don't know why they've been chosen. They each have a peculiar background and unique skills. It's just ludicrous how borrowed this is. But if it's a PG-13 movie, right? So very few people in the intended audience, which is to say people who aren't old enough to see R-rated movies, well, they're not old enough to remember a 21-year-old, low-budget Canadian horror film, so they don't know. So if you think about it that way, is it worth their money? It's not terrible. The cast is much better than it deserved to be. Um, It's still a clever concept, as clever as it was in 1997. And some of the set pieces are actually pretty interesting. So they have to get out. Well, you mentioned the cast. We should say that if if you've seen uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and if you haven't, get on that. That's right. Uh, Tyler Labine. Love him. Who played Dale. That's Uh, right. And he's he's just as adorable in this as he was in that. And also uh, Deborah Ann Wohl, who, if you watch True Blood. She's uh, a tall, skinny And we did not. She's a tall, skinny redhead. So she's, you... she's very good in this. And then the lead, Taylor Russell, she does a she does a solid job of sort of shouldering the the narrative. Also, yeah. So overall, the cast is is game, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. there's is there, is there any blood at all? No. As you mentioned before, it's PG thirteen, so they're going to cut corners there because there was certainly blood in Cube. Yeah. Uh, and as they're trying to get out from situation to situation, uh, room to room, I guess it is. Find so, the clues. Yeah, and... I mean, and at least one of those set pieces is pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, a couple of them are, are clever, you know, and fun. But the, yeah, there's one that's an upside-down billiard room that's that's the most fun. That makes the game hard to play. It does. It does. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's the thing, though. But even so... Assuming that you don't know how badly ripped off this movie is, and I, and I, have to, I, I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, it is un—it's criminal how much this lifts from Cube. Anyway, but even if you don't know that and you're in it for a fun time, and they are pretty fun, uh, one after another, the end. There's a twist. It's kind of fun, but then the the follow-up you see coming. It's pretty obvious. It reminds you of a thousand other movies that you've seen, <laughs> and then kind of the denouement, you know, kicker. It's not really. It's not post credits, but I mean the sort of we can have sequels ending. Takes what Cube did really well, and then just needlessly expands on it in a way that just makes you kind of groan. Well, but here's the thing, though. Even if you haven't seen Cube or any of those movies, and certainly a movie can exi- can yeah. exist in its own for its own merit. Even then, it has moments of interest that become just like, oh, you had something here and just kind of petered out. Well, it's just that if they could have stopped it, you know, at the natural end where they were leading you to believe was the ending. But there wasn't. You've got another 15 minutes to go through, which is just like hackneyed and then derivative and then worse. So there's a spot. You'll be like, I wish this was the end. And then you should just leave. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you'll know when that spot is. I think you will. So not really a recommendation (laughs) for Escape Room, unless you know when that spot is. (laughs) 
And one more, a documentary out in limited release uh, this week. It's a partly animated story of five children in Swaziland diving into their imagination to create an original African tale about a girl on a dangerous quest. It's called Liana. We're going to be writing the story of this young girl, and it is our story. We don't know where the story is going. You will decide. I want them to remember I'm the storyteller. Rachel Willis reviewed this for us, and uh, she thought that it was, and it is, it's a very interesting, definitely different film than anything you've seen. And you, you work, these children work through some of the horrors that have happened to them individually by creating this fiction of a of a child in their area who uh, overcomes obstacles and and you hear the children make up these stories it's really very powerful and moving uh, in a lot of ways and then the illustrations that they use to bring the children's story to life also just gorgeous so it's a different kind of a, it's not like anything you've seen before mm-hmm. yeah and uh, you definitely can check out uh, Rachel Willis's complete review on our website at madwolf.com and with that let's go to the lobby Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Just a couple opening up on home video this week. The first one, Bad Times at the El Royale. This is by writer-director Drew Goddard, who's done some good stuff. Cabin in the Woods uh, was one of the our favorites from him. Mm-hmm. And, and this one... Boy, it had a lot of promise. It's got a great cast. It's got uh, everyone from Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges to John Hamm to Dakota Johnson, Cynthia and Revo, who was just in Widows. Uh, she's in there as well. And, of course, Chris Hemsworth. What? Was he in that? Yeah, and that's the funny thing because it's a story about these these strangers who wind up at this uh, hotel for different reasons and uh, it and what's going on at the hotel secretly and how it all plays out and why they're there and everything. And there's a there's lots of interesting things visually, mm-hmm. and it does get your attention. It seems like it's a at times with the dialogue, it's a bit of a Tarantino wannabe sure. kind of thing. But sorry to say this, it all kind of falls apart when Chris Hemsworth shows up. Because it's not his fault. It's that the story <laughs> the story kind of caves in on itself. That section isn't as interesting as what led to it. Well, I'll tell you whose fault it's not. It's not Dakota Johnson's oh, fault. It's what? right there. <laughs> but anyway, it's yeah, a clash it's, of the crushes right there's, here. There's there's <laughs> things of interest here. There really is. It's about twenty minutes too long. Sure. Knowing mm-hmm. going back to knowing where to end it, but it you just feel like once he gets there, because his character becomes very pivotal to uh, how things get resolved. You expect more. But then it just, when he does, everything just gets bogged down in conversation. Mm. When you think, okay, you've you've stopped the momentum here. Right. But uh, I still found it, overall, I would say, check it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially if you're just kind of chill out at home and want to see something. And if you have, you know, maybe a big screen, it does look good. Yeah, it looks good. And it sounds sounds good. good. Yeah, it sounds good, too. It's got a great soundtrack. And you love this star power. So uh, you might want to check it out. Bad Times at the El Royale. Night School, not so much. No. And you know what? I don't know why I held out hope. I do think Kevin Hart is always funny. I love Tiffany Haddish. And there, it's got, it's got a couple of really fun Moments that should have been great SNL sketches, but they just, it cannot hang together as a movie at all. Do you remember how long we were seeing trailers for this movie before it finally came out? I swear it was six months. Oh, I think you're right. Anyway. And I just, when that happens, you're like, oh, yeah, uh, that can't be good. And they just kept putting it back and putting it back and putting it back. And I, 
And I agree, they're both funny. Although, did you hear about the Tiffany Haddish thing on on New Year's Eve, I guess? She did a show and came out and was way hungover and just was terrible and ended up just apologizing to everyone Aww. and inviting him on stage to drink. I think. <laughs> so, you know, so, uh, but she said uh, that won't happen again. Anyway, she, I think she's funny. Yeah. We've said she's many, incredibly funny. Kevin Hart is very, very funny. Yeah. But it, so there should have been more here, but it, it becomes so. Well, let's be cliched. honest, though. And, Nine out of ten Kevin Hart movies are not worth watching. I know. He's had so many bad ones, mm-hmm. and you got to think, what is it to finally get him, you know, the vehicle? Well, he's, he's the co-writer and the producer. He chose this. That's a problem. Yes. That is a problem. Maybe somebody else should be choosing things for him. Because <laughs> so. there are so many, I mean, even in the bad ones, he's the best. I mean, you lo- he's always funny. He is. Well, you bring up, you mentioned uh, earlier, you slip of the tongue, Regina Hall. Yeah. It was Kevin Hart and Regina <gasps> Hall yes. were the only things worth watching about that remake of About Last yes. Night. Yes. I didn't want to see the main couple no. at all. No, I know those they two were, were hilarious. They were hired to be pretty and all, but mm-hmm. no, the other two, that's they they made it work. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there are there are times when you see the promise of him in a film, but it's not here. No. It's not here at all. Uh, so, so I would skip night school. Looking ahead to next week, we've got a few. The upside, there's Kevin Hart Kevin again. Kevin Hart again. And uh, Brian Cranston. This is a remake. Nicole Kidman. Oh, boy, yeah. She just continues being in every third movie. Uh, there have been a few of those people. We just mentioned Brian Tyree Henry is on a roll. Nicole Kidman on a roll as well. But that's a remake of one of the most, if not the most successful French film in terms of box office of all time called The Intouchables from years ago. A remake of that. Also Keanu Reeves in Replicas. You've got the story of RBG, this time not a documentary. It's Felicity Jones playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the basis of sex. That comes out next week. El Angel, or is it Angel? I think it would be El Angel. Nice. That'll be next week. And also Rust Creek. Don't know much about that. A couple we'll, of thrillers. We'll find out. So we'll talk about those and more. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about these movies. Uh, you can always keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, or on Instagram and Facebook. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can read all the written reviews and other fun stuff, like our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can always find that at madwolf.com. So lots of ways to get in touch. We hope you will. Until then, this is the Screening Room Podcast, a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And until next week. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>